0: Hey, Carrie. Hey, Carly. Welcome to another episode of 77 Music Club. We are your hosts, Carly Jordan. And Carrie Corrigan. Welcome back, Carrie. Welcome back, Carly. Welcome back, Cotter. (laughs) Just had to be said to freak out everybody. (laughs) Because we know what that is. (laughs) Are you surprised? Um, I feel like we've matured so much as people since our last episode.
1: Oh my god, so much. It's been so long. It's been a little bit, it's been a minute. I feel like we've found ourselves, we've gone on journeys. We've like cleansed our skin, we've hydrated, we've grown as people. No, we haven't. I'm just saying that
0: because it's been a while, and people need to think we've done something. We have been doing things. We've been doing a lot of things in our respective careers, but we are coming together once again to discuss an album made before we were born. Even though this one, we're stretching. We're stretching our our um, our, our radius a little bit. Our time constraints. We're we're stretching our time period a little bit here because um, typically, um, if you if you know our stuff, we typically tend, uh, we go from nineteen sixty five to nineteen eighty five. But the album we're talking about today was actually released in nineteen eighty nine, making this album you two years it. older than us. Two years older than us. Wow. Pause for awkwardness. <laughs> and what album are we talking about today, Carrie?
1: Today, we are talking about Nenna Cherry's debut album, Raw Like Sushi. Which is so flipping good, and I
0: can't even believe that I didn't know about it until this past February when tie into another one of our recent episodes um, in February when I read Viv Albertine's book for the first time, um, her first book for the first time and she talked about Nena Cherry and she talked about um, her stepfather Don Cherry um, and Nena was actually in the lineup of the slits for a little bit of time um, and that was actually the first I'd ever heard of her And so then I went and listened to Rolex sushi immediately and I was in love absolutely in love because you can dance to it you can bop to it you can strut down the street to it it's It's such a good city album it is such a good girl in new york album
1: for sure yeah i also didn't know about her for the most part i feel like i had heard her name like thrown around and i was always like oh when did you first listen to this do you remember uh, when you told me about her probably yeah probably in like but like later probably in the spring or something um, I, And you know how it came up? It was probably because sometimes, if you are friends with somebody on Spotify and you can like see their whole like listening thing we, on the side. We've
0: talked about this on the show. We've talked about this before,
1: but like <laughs> Where music stars. I think I had seen you listening to it at one point, and I was like, oh yeah, I should listen to I should listen to Nene Cherry. Like, well, okay, I'm good. That sparked my mind. I'm just gonna go do it right now. And like at work, like clicked through because you were, I saw you were listening to her, and I was like, oh. She is dope. Yeah, and I feel like it's a really good album. It was a really good album for me to be working on and listening to a lot in the past month. Because it's been...
0: Yeah, in the past year, really. Past year, really, but the past
1: month sucked. Yeah,
0: but it's one of those things where it, it, um, it kind of highlights how special this album is, really, because it is so ahead of its time.
1: I'm or at least... there's a timeliness and a timelessness to it, I think, yes,
0: yes, that's what i'm that's what I'm trying to get at is because, I mean, obviously we were not even twinkles in our parents' eye at the time that this was released, so we don't you know, we, we weren't existing in the time period that this was released for, um, in, in terms of looking at it from the perspective of women. Um, like we, we wouldn't know what it was like personally to be there at this time when this was released and to experience it as female people. Um, but to hear it now and to hear it so succinctly and so almost prophetically surmise the experience yeah and of being female today and in very specific ways that we'll get to
1: for that sure that we'll get to cuz i think we'll, we'll like, talk
0: about for sure when we when we talk about them per song um
1: i think that's because culture is so cyclical though and we it are is. so much back in the political at least world of the early 90s of the late 80s um and this whole like emergence of third wave feminism coming out mm-hmm. and like now we're kind of in the forefront of fourth wave and like So many issues that the two Mm -hmm. groups touch are touched in this album, and it's just like, oh, wow, it's like... Yeah, the climate is eerily similar. This whole album is just a lot of a woman being completely fed up and speaking her truth and knowing her power and refusing to back down, and there's just so, yeah, there's so much that sounds like it's it's from today. Even musically, too, like not even talking about the political intonations and cultural intonations the music
0: yeah because there's there's so much um there's so many techniques that are being replicated now and so many um different like different like little very specific engineering things um that are being uh reintroduced to today's musical landscape that are from that are (laughs) that are indigenous to the 80s like things like things like gated reverb and things like you know high proliferation of very icy synths and stuff like that um that's sort of all over the place and then there's um there's a lot of hip-hop um hip-hop and r&b um techniques that are being implemented as well and obviously those are all on here because this is the og
1: this is the og Mm -hmm. so a little bit of background information before we go track by track about nana cherry she's had this really amazing childhood that I think really feeds into this so she grew up with her mom Moki and her stepfather Don Cherry um who was background who was a very uh legend who's a a very legend very famous and legendary um trumpet player uh she grew up between New York City and Sweden and she dropped out of school when she was 14 to like be a club kid for a little bit and then when she was 16 she moved to London after she accompanied Don on a three-week tour with the Slits And she joined a band called Rip Rig and Panic. She recorded three albums
0: with them, but she was wary of taking on too much as a songwriter. She said, I was avoiding something that I needed to get on with doing because there were other members of the band that I could hide behind. Eventually, she left that band, and she split from her first husband, who was in it, and then she met Cameron McVeigh, and they spent two years working on Raw Like Sushi.
1: And I think a big part of this album is the experimentation on it. Mm Mm-hmm. You were talking before, too. You said that it's a lot of a mixing of, like, R&B and rap, and it sounds kind of like Madonna. It sounds kind of like Queen Latifah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, no, because I think there's a lot of this album that that reminds me of, of Queen Latifah's also from 1989 album All Hail the Queen. There's, like, just so many musical elements that, that are just shared between the two. Um, and not to mention, like, the whole, like, I'm female and I'm tough and like, I don't, I don't need to listen to you. I can just do my own thing. I can operate the way I want, um, vibe. Um, and then there's also parts of it that sound like the urban genre mixing, genre mixing, urban genre mixing of Luscious Jackson. Um, and they, Luscious Jackson is a band, um, also from the the early nineties that borrows, um, from a lot of different musical styles. Um, you'll hear R and B and you'll hear disco and you'll hear indie rock on one of their albums. Um, is, yeah, it's just a very cool mixing of sounds and techniques, um, and I think it's very interesting to to talk about and 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 think about um, the ones that are used on this album, Raw Like Sushi.
1: Yeah, so let's get into it and talk about them track by track. This is Nana Cherry's 1989, Raw Like Sushi. The first track is Buffalo Stance, and obviously, this is Nana Cherry's most popular song. Um, It's kind of like you might not even know who Nana Cherry is, but you've probably heard the song. It's everywhere. She told The New Yorker a few years ago, quote, that song still pays my rent quite often. It's like an old friend. And obviously, when you have that one really big breakout hit, it's easy to become defined by that song, which is why I love that it shows just how unique and multifaceted she is. You know, like if you're going to be defined by one song, at least you're defined by a song that's like all over the place, kind of stylistically. It's not really like, you can't put it in a, in a hole, and so...
0: Yeah, totally, um, and especially because it does, it, it borrows and calls from so many different influences, um, for instance, the synths on this song are taken from Morgan and McVeigh's 1987 song, Looking Good Diving, and Tim Simonon took this apart and reassembled it collage style into what became what we know as Buffalo Stance, so this song is really, is really made from a mixture of different parts, um, and, and it's interesting to hear just sort of, like, how it, like, it sort of like takes all of like what was the late '80s and made it into this, to what became a definitive late '80s song.
1: Yeah, and I think especially because even though she was associated with the Slits for a while and she was in Rip Rig and Panic for a few albums, like this is her first big solo song and it's the first one to reach mainstream culture, um, mainstream MTV culture. So, like you said, it is very like '80s and it's very like speaking to that time. Um, And the cool thing about it to me is that it not only opens the album, but it was released as a single a solid six months before the album even came out. So I think it's very appropriate that she gives off this first extremely memorable impression, like impossible to forget. And she makes it known that she is difficult to pigeonhole in terms of genre because yeah, it's it's just all over the place, but she also gives off the impression on this song, which carries through the entire album that she is an unfuckable... uh, Unfuckwithable! 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 Our favorite word, an unfuckwithable baddie who gives zero Fs about telling y'all off. Yeah, it's absolutely, totally memorable,
0: just like you said. I mean, how often have I been singing this song around the house? (laughs) Oh, wow. I just like it, like it stays in your head, and you just want to dance to it. It's so great, um, but also I think another interesting thing about leading leading off the album with like the big huge hit song is such a. It's such a 20th century thing, and it's such a, like, especially, like, a, a sort of mid-ish, late 20th century thing to do because we've covered albums before where we've talked about how notable it is that they're like, okay, here's track one, the huge hit that they're all paying money for this record for, and then the rest of the stuff is, like, bonus. So I think it's kind of funny that they did that that odd sequ- sequencing trick um, here on Raw Like Sushi because it seems like a much cooler, hipper album, and I feel like all of the albums that we've done where, like, the opening song is the big hit, um, are kind of like stuffy older and older, like, white dude albums. But,
1: but yeah, make that paper. I don't know. Like, let's get, get that bre- bread. bread.
0: Or, oh, did I do it right?
1: Yes, you okay. did it right.
0: I th- know what bread is, obviously. I know what that slang is, but you're like, let's get this bread. Let's get this bread. Like, I, mean, I know clearly, the
1: record label people were like, let's get this bread. Let's put Buffalo Stance first track let's get this buffalo
0: that's not it that's that's not the saying
1: no anyway okay okay
0: so buffalo stance actually took about two years to write and create um before it actually ended up being finished for the album in about two and a half days um mark saunders says that um he remembers the whole thing was the most painless track he's ever worked on he said it was his first hit really and nothing's ever been that easy it's crazy how easy it was and I feel like that's that's a tale that is as old as time. Like we sort of, you can hear about that too, where it's like, and like an idea will gestate in your head forever. But then it's like once you just get in the studio and start working on it, boom, there it is. Yeah. I mean, obviously there are a lot of examples where things aren't like that, but.
1: I mean, there are a lot of examples that just, not even in music, but any kind of creative endeavor where you're like working on it, working on it, working on it. And mm-hmm. then you're just like in crunch time and you're like, oh, boom, I'm going to hibernate. Idea. Yeah, for two and a half days and finish this. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Exactly.
0: And what I love about this, too, is the song has that whole sense of New Yorkiness mixed with that hint of sassy Britishism, um, which would be an influence from spending her adolescence in London and falling in
1: with the punk kids that she met there. I think it's so cool, too, how she subverts gender norms on this track, starting with the very appropriation of the phrase Buffalo Stance. It's a posturing pose that was named for Bruce Smith of the Buffalo Bills in the late 80s, which is, like, so hyper-masculine it hurts. Yeah. Um, She just totally took it, and she once explained that the song was about her friend group that her mentor called the Buffalo Posse because Buffalo had a classic to him, not-here-today-gone-tomorrow meaning. It's kind of like pulling different meanings of buffalo and buffalo stance and buffalo posse, and the word buffalo is just...
0: Yeah. And people tend to associate the word buffalo with Bob Marley's Buffalo Soldier, but in fact, it's a Caribbean expression to describe people who are rude boys or rebels. Not necessarily tough, but a hard style taken from the street. It's like a functional and stylish look, non-fashion with a hard attitude. Which, also, that's kind of funny, because we can pull a little legacy right here, too, because Rihanna has a whole song called Rude Boy, so you could sort of generationally do a lineage from Rude Boy back to songs on Raw Like Sushi. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's cool.
1: That's so cool.
0: (laughs) The song's name is also a reference to Malcolm McLaren's 1983 song Buffalo Gals, which is actually also sampled here. And I find that interesting because that has like kind of a cool tie back into the London punks since Malcolm McLaren's shop Sex that he had with Vivian Westwood um, was a fashion hub in the 70s for the music kids hanging and playing around London at the time. Um, yeah, that's cool. It is cool also shout out to badass women
1: getting their stuff done getting shit done getting it done a lot of people know about this song because oh yeah yeah because she it was like a very iconic moment where she performed it on top of the pops like on tv eight months pregnant and like wearing spandex and like just going for it and being like
0: but i don't think that's necessarily indicative of the 80s though i think women still wear spandex when they're pregnant
1: well, I mean, like, biker shorts. <laughs> like, wearing, like, a club outfit, but being, like, a super pregnant. <laughs> <And> being,
0: like, <laughs> a just club outfit.
1: But, yeah, shout out to Disco women, pants. like, not letting anything slow them down or stop them. Women are badasses. What, no,
0: no. I know a woman who brought her baby on stage because her baby wouldn't stop crying when the baby was on tour and so this woman took that baby put that baby on her back and did the rest of the show and the baby fell asleep and I think that's one of the best stories I've ever heard in my life. I don't, don't ever tell a woman she can't do something because she'll, she'll figure out how to get it done. The end. End of story. End of chapter. End of song. Moving on.
1: The next song is Manchild, and, um, hi, hello, is this song not 2018 AF, like...
0: Um, it is and it isn't, because I think men are have been like this since the dawn of time.
1: Yeah, but I think it's, like, a pop culture cool thing now. Like, do you remember... Well, it's like a bandwagon thing it, now. Because, like, a few years ago, there was this boom in, like, TV and movies... Of immature male bros who were like, Oh, well, that's literally called the man child. And now it's just evolved. Now it's like the trend is scum bro, but they're still like,
0: No, but then also somewhere in there too, there was also like the handsome white male anti hero.
1: But I'm speaking specifically of like trends of like who is the hot guy. It's been getting more and more like irresponsible white dude who acts like he's still 14 and loves his, like, pizza rolls that his mom made him. Ew. (laughs) (laughs) Pizza rolls? I'm just speaking as a generalization. Anyway, moving on, though, musically, to talk about this actual song and not, like, the Will Ferrells of the world. Um, This song is a total spin from Buffalo Stance, not only as the second song on the album, but then again going back to that old school sequencing thing, it was the second single released. Mm -hmm.
0: And also, it's so interesting because this song is such a complete mood change from Buffalo Stance. It's slower to begin with. It's slower. It's soupy. There's something very sort of like... I don't want to say sinister but I guess technically you could call like this certain progression of chords a kind of sinister choice. Slide. But it's like there's something it's like it has a one up on you. This song has a one up on you. It knows what you did last summer. It knows what you did last night, not even last summer. <laughs> but I think that's really kind of genius because you want a song that sounds like it knows the score when it's talking about I see you man child, the million time that a woman has psychologically identified what's going on in a man's brain. Like, jeez Louise.
1: Yeah. And I think the song also keeps you on your toes. Just when you think you know what the song is going to be like through the entire end, there's a rap verse out of Left Field where she's just really throwing her weight around and giving this guy so much shit. This bridge reminds me so much, actually, of some of the diss tracks that Cardi B would rap today, which, if just like a little filler in... Cliff's notes of like what the rap game is like today from somebody who only knows the like Cliff's notes version of the rap game today. Cardi B has a beef with Nicki Minaj. She Nicki does. M- yes. Nicki Minaj is way better at diss tracks, but she's also like they both kind of like suck as people if I'm giving my own personal opinion. They do.
0: I don't I mean I don't really know and I don't really care because they don't affect my life in any way. But anyway,
1: but- Nicki Minaj is better at diss tracks and has diss tracks about Cardi B but the attitude and the referencing to like late 80s and 90s hip hop and rap style like yeah is totally. very cardi b like she has that song with bruno mars which bruno mars appropriates like any past hip hop sound but his latest one is the 90s so like yeah, that totally. song finesse reminds yeah. me a lot of this song in a way and it's like cool to see that lineage yeah
0: yeah, I mean, and sort of like like the converse of this, like this, you know, obviously this is the subject matter of this song is about something completely different, but this, in that sort of like, I have a whole handle on what's going on in in this situationness. Um, this reminds me a lot of a track on Queen Latifah's All Hail the Queen album called Ladies First where, you know, they outline, like, going through, like, the experience of of being female and, like, sort of calling out um, in very specific and, you know, really witty ways, um, you know, what that experience is, and um, it sort of has that same kind of attitude and that same kind of um, I-see-you vibe.
1: Yeah, and it's actually funny that you bring up Queen Latifah because... Speaking of that, if you look at the musical landscape when this album came out, Nena was really an outlier because first of all, hip hop and rap were at this critical turning point where it was less of the early MC stuff from artists like um Grandmaster Flash or Curtis Blow and songs that were generally positive and like had good vibes even though they were dealing with heavy subjects. And they were starting to, it was starting to shift towards Gangster rap, which would become increasingly more aggressive throughout the 90s. Like, you don't have slow jams about immature men. You no. have, like, in this year, or right before it, you have N.W.A.'s Straight out of Compton and Fuck the Police. You have Two Live Crew, which was super misogynistic and violent. And, again, getting back to Queen Latifah, you don't have a lot of women in this genre. Like, aside from her, salt and pepa and J.J. Fad, it's mostly men talking about what they want to do to women, Mm -hmm. and here is Nana Cherry being like, I'm a woman talking about a man who is Mm -hmm. bad, and I'm, like, done with this shit. Yeah. And I think that's really cool.
0: It is. I mean, she could honestly, like, you know, we don't know because we don't know them personally, but she could actually be talking about her colleagues in this particular field of music, and this particular genre of music. Yeah. You don't know.
1: It could apply to so many different relationships with different kinds of relationships with men and Mm -hmm. power dynamics Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: you know yeah just like looking around you and like seeing you know what what the men in your field are, are doing and how easy it is for them and you know then relating it back to what is this that I'm dealing with yeah yeah as a female So the next track is called Kisses on the Wind, and Nena wrote this song based on her own experiences in school, and it's one all girls share, absolutely for sure. It's about that girl in your grade who comes into her sexuality faster than everyone else, purely by the accident of her biology. Um, There's that lyric in there, she was the first girl to turn the boys on, and I mean, we all remember what it was like seeing that girl around school and feeling like you were totally lame because you didn't have that certain something. Yeah. I mean, we all went through that super awkward period where we're like, oh my God, no one look at me.
1: Yeah. And it's like so scary now to see like how many teens and tweens like don't have that awkward period anymore. They just like no, immediately just look cool. like grownups and they look like older than me. And yeah, it's like, I'm intimidated by like 13 year olds today. Well, 13 year olds have been
0: mean since the dawn of time. They're, they've always been mean. and They just look better now. <laughs>
1: Yeah, there is that. There is that.
0: Another thing that I think is super smart and super great um, is that if you listen to the instrumentation of this song, um, the guitars and the synths are working completely against each other here, too. Um, so they, they they sound like they're completely in conflict, um, which is cool because it underscores the awkwardness of adolescence. And how we feel like there's always like something going on in our brain that our bodies aren't really adapting to or vice versa or whatever it might be. Or, you know, someone's not understanding us or we're not saying the right thing. And the particular way that that, that sort of just like crashes your world down um, when you are a teenager um, is reflected in the music. And that's super dope.
1: That's super dope. I never even noticed that. and I'm going to have to like re-listen to the song. Oh, it's cool. It's really cool. I'm with that in my mind. Yeah. Pay super attention to it. I think this song also paints such a vivid picture of life in New York, because I think when you're not from here originally, you were really aware of how mature kids and teenagers are, like, mm-hmm. so much more mature than you were. Mm-hmm. Um, this, the idea that city kids grow up faster is not false. It's not a stereotype. It's, it's true. Um, I see teens all around the city all the time who scare me, because I'm like, how do you how do you know how to take the subway by yourself? You're like 12 years old. I didn't know how to take the subway until I was like here for a full year. Um, But also it's talking about that double-edged sword of being older than you really are because it's kind of disturbing to be a young girl acting and looking older than you are and, and getting hit on by men. That's like a really prickly thing. I mean, but that
0: does happen when you act older than you are though. Like when you have a certain countenance about you. Whether or not, like, your body looks that way, like, it's just, like, like if you carry yourself that way and you're in rooms with people like that, I mean, I'm sure you had similarly well, <laughs> uncomfortable
1: experiences. Yeah, and I think I think like I did. what's interesting about this song is that what makes it prickly, what makes that issue prickly is that she wields that young sexuality as a power and she's talking about having the boys wrapped around her finger And it's weird, it's like a weird thing listening to it in the Me Too era and kind of hearing like, like we all know that there are power dynamics when it comes to sex and you might think that you're being powerful when you're 13 years old being like, look at me, I may be 13 but I look 21 baby, like you may think you're holding the power there but you're actually being taken advantage of.
0: But then conversely isn't there some to be something to be said for sort of the advantage of the naivete of that 13-year-old girl in this scenario? Because if she she's not exposed to society yet and she's not exposed to um to 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 the wrongs that could be done or to the influence of people that would make her feel or that that, that would that would make her look outwardly to other people like a pawn in some CD game. You know, do you know what I mean like like you know, she's so young, she's just going by what feels good to her and what makes her feel like power innately and naturally. She's not going by society's standards because you don't see that yet.
1: No, you don't see that yet. And I think that, but I think that's why it's like, that's the dark side to like growing up too fast. If you, if you don't, you know, if you kind of gradually dip your toe in and you like learn as you go along, you're less likely to be naive and then eventually taken advantage of like you don't know enough if it, even if it feels innately like power to you at like 13 or 14 or 15 like I mean any age if you're dealing with people significantly older than you it's not power you don't know enough like you may feel, no, you, it might no, feel you don't like know it, enough but
0: like but it, but if it's power and that's all it feels like to you then you could just as easily be taking advantage of people
1: who aren't expecting that from you do you know what I'm saying? I disagree with that, though. I disagree with the idea that, like, you are taking advantage of someone else because it all... I mean, that that very specifically depends like,
0: on the situation.
1: Yeah, and it's it's a much larger conversation, and I'm just, but I think that's what's interesting about the song is that it sparks this kind of debate that you and I could talk about this for hours. You and I could
0: talk about this forever, for hours Because it's very interesting. And I'm just bringing up points to bring up points because yeah, no, they're worth talking about. Um, but that's what's cool and that's also you know that's what this song instigates too you know if you're you know if you're gonna analyze the song and you're gonna talk about the song then talk about all sides of it and talk about you know the the thing that it naturally makes you think of um so it's it is worth this it is worth this this discussion
1: i yeah there's no easy answer no and there there isn't
0: an easy answer because it is so subjective and it is such like a case-by-case thing because everybody's experiences of growing up are different and everybody's experiences with coming into their own sexuality are different. Um, and I think um, that this song highlights that, because you do see both sides. Like, you can see the point of view of the girl who does mature faster, and you can see the point of the girl who is the who feels like the outsider, and who feels less with it, and less like she knows what's going on because she hasn't.
1: Yeah, and I think you also can see the point of view of Nena as a 25-year-old when she was recording this, kind of, like, objectively... Looking at these people from afar Like mm-hmm. she's not necessarily Old but she's older and she kind of has That like she has The knowledge of how it's gonna work out mm-hmm. I mean that's and, what like, makes it so Relatable this, to yeah. you and
0: me because it's like we have These thoughts about these kids that we see and we're like Oh god girl wait till you find this out Wait till just you wait Just you wait Yeah, <laughs> But it wasn't that long ago that we looked at people who said Ooh, Just you wait and we were like Ugh, whatever Yeah And now it's like "Ooh, oof, oof. I feel the creaks. I'm wiping off the dust. We're getting old. (laughs) Ripe old age of 26. (laughs) Oh, excuse me, you're 27. My elder. The next song is In a City Mama, and the backbeat on this song is just so deliciously urban 1980s. You immediately feel like you're out walking in the city when you hear it, so it's aptly named. Also, that killer opening couplet, New York, just like I pictured it, skyscrapers and everything. In a city love, you crushed me into a pulp. I trusted you. I mean, boom. That echoes the sentiments of so many of us in our 20s who moved to New York expecting the lows along with the highs, but it takes actually experiencing and feeling the lows to know what it can feel like to be, quote, crushed to a pulp. The wink in the eye of the lyric, though, is that we all know that those episodes of discouragement will end with us coming back for more, every single time. Lyrically, the whole song ping-pongs between loving the city so much and expressing frustration at being brought down by it time and time again, like, "'Now I look at you with tears in my eyes, the good, the bad, and the ugly,' Like, <laughs> I mean, could we all make maps of the places we've cried in public in New York?
1: Um, absolutely. I could for sure make a map. And it reminds me of something someone tweeted recently that I think about all the time. It was like, New York is the best place to have a bad day because you can cry in public and literally no one cares. But yeah, I, I think I I ping pong a lot between, I've wanted to live here since I was 12 years old. Wow. 12 year old me would flip out and... I hate this trash city. Why are any of us still participating in this trade? New York is for losers, like Yeah, we all do that. It's that is definitely a common phenomenon of this
0: city. Yeah, and that is so perfectly expressed within the give-and-take yeah. aspect of this song. Absolutely. Um, and it's just, like, it's got a sick beat, too. And, and ironically enough, it's, like, one of those songs that, like, in terms of, like, BPM, like, perfectly matches up to a common pace of a strut of walking down the street in a city when you have to, like, be somewhere.
1: I love those There's songs. Saturday, those songs where you, like, walk down the street and you feel like you're in a music video and you're kind of, like, in your own music yeah. video. And if you don't do that to some songs, then, like, I'm sorry for you. I
0: mean, it's it's a get-your-life song. It really is. In so many ways. Layers, it's an onion. Or a parfait. Parfaits have layers, Carly. I know they do. Well, it depends on whether you want a sweet or a savory layer. Let the people choose.
1: Nobody told me a damn thing about hollow foes right there before you can't even blink. If you do your missus, you'll take time to think about your position, your place in this world, about what you're here for. So check it out, girl. Voice to the right and you're in this too. Come on, be real, I can we count on you to be stronger to love us like Do thin and thick with your heart and your soul, not the side from your dick. Yeah, yeah song is called The Next Generation, and I love this song so much. It's just, it's so powerful lyrically, and it's so on point for today. I mean, we always hear that children are the future, children are the future, but um, I think for so long that's just been kind of lip service, you know, like adults constantly say that you can do anything, but then they're quick to turn around and be like, you don't know what you're doing, you're Mm. just a child, Or like, how many dumb takes do we need to hear about millennials being the worst generation that's killing everything? But meanwhile, it really is our generation and the generation below us that's doing the real work to change the world. We are the future. Cherry points out these things that we're talking about so much right now. Things like teaching boys that it's okay to be sensitive and loving and to love women with their heart and soul and not the size of their dicks. Like, killer line. Um, she's talking Seriously. about crises we still face today, from the public school system to the alarming number of unwanted children in the world that go ignored by, you know, rich people who are just looking through, looking to jump through any hoops necessary to have their own clones. I think she says in the yeah. song, and it's it's shocking, but also not shocking if that makes sense. That yeah. it's still relevant.
0: Yeah, and it's so insanely prophetic, that it leaves me totally dumbfounded. The fact that she felt so strongly about these issues and that they were prevalent enough to get under her skin that she needed to sing about them makes it all the more glaringly obvious that the problems she's singing about haven't gone away, nor are they any kind of new. Um, obviously, there are major systematic social issues that you grow up knowing about, but it's the very specific problems that we've sort of had to grow into um like the fact that it should be commentary comment <laughs> like the fact that it should be common parenting to teach your boys that it's okay to cry and be scared and ask for help and feel whatever they want to feel um to the alarming number of people that turn a blind eye to various kinds of child abuse in this country if the child is brown um etc cetera, etc cetera. you know we could spend forever listing all of the trash things about society right now but the fact is is it's it's alarming when you look at songs like this and realize how little has actually changed
1: yeah and i think what's so spot on about this too is that nana was only 25 when this song came out and she's not talking about her generation she's talking to people older than herself about those coming up underneath her who have mm-hmm. great potential that needs tending to which Again, is so relevant today. So relevant today,
0: because that generation beneath us—there are some smart kids. There are really smart smart kids, and that's another thing too. Because I love the humanity in this particular grouping of lyrics. Here's hoping you'll know the right time when it comes, like I did, because I knew, though nobody told me a damn thing about how the world grows. It's an admission of being unaware because you are unaffected or not realizing how much you are affected because you hadn't come into your own self-awareness yet. But once you do, if you're wise and pay attention as your world gets bigger, you realize that not everything may be quite as right as you once believed it to be. And you form your own opinions on what would make those things better, and hopefully turn them into actions if you're able. I certainly see my own awakenings in these words. They're incredibly prescient for the late 80s. As a young woman coming up in a time when narratives of people from all backgrounds are so easily accessible via the internet, so much so that we're now subject to a phenomenon called empathy exhaustion, I can relate so much in this current moment of my life to realizing many times over that the world isn't so black and white, human connection isn't so simple, um, that morals are relative. Just like Nena illustrates in this song, I don't like what I see in the world a lot of the time. So what's left for me, for us, to decide where and how we can positively go from there. How do we conduct ourselves to make our own little spheres of control the kinds of places we want to live? How How do we act?
1: Yeah, and I think that for millennials, for our generation, so many of us kind of I think came into that awareness a little bit late. It feels like compared to looking at the real change makers. I mean, there are some great millennials who are making wild change right now. It's really amazing, but there are so many teenagers and um, Gen Z who are so much more politically and socially aware than a lot of us were at that age. And it's really incredible to look yeah. at because and, that
0: information is so much more easily accessible. Yeah, to them. and all in all the time and in such great variety and they're just was taking it and
1: running it. And I think it's impossible to like, not look at them and think like, wow, these kids are going to save all of us. Um, and I think it's easy to lose that sense of awe that the further apart you are, like the older you are looking at these young people, it's like you hear more people much older than us looking at them critically like, Oh, they're just kids. They're idealistic. They haven't been out in the real world yet. They don't know how it works. Um, but I think because we are close enough in age to viscerally remember that time and the mistakes we made and the mm-hmm. things we wished that our elders would have told us or helped us with, we can see their power and we can see what they're doing with encouragement or without. And it's it's really up to us and Nena and people like Nena, you know, telling, kind of being the messenger, the in-between person, like doing our part but also being like, hey, older people, like don't dismiss these kids who are really our future, who are really out there doing the work. Like, Don't dismiss them because they're young.
0: Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, it actually scares me to see how mature and self-aware some of those kids are at such a young age. Um, it's like the length of time it takes to grow up dramatically decreased, starting with the tail end of our generation. Eesh, the internet, man. Um, and I love the lyrics at the end of this song that go, and you wonder, right, if they've forgotten or if they just can't remember that they ever were small one time i think about that a lot cuz a- i feel like that a lot yeah Next up is Love Ghetto. Um,
1: This is a song that makes me want to be in a 90s club. Um, I mean, I
0: can hear it in my head right now just
1: because it's so catchy. It's so catchy. I want to, like, go to Urban Outfitters, buy a costume of, like, 90s reappropriated stuff and go to like a 90s night (laughs) everything old is new again folks in case you haven't gone to
0: including this podcast
1: h&m urban outfitters forever 20 any kind of fast fashion
0: or in case you haven't listened to this podcast
1: or that too (laughs) (laughs) everything you don't have to go far for that reference um But yeah, this song is just, like, another cool genre-bending track. There's the thumping beat that makes it really dancey, but then there's also, like, a groove to it and these cool horns... Sounds like a fusion of dance pop and like old school funk, which is just, it's cool. It's, I don't have anything else to say about it. There's not a lot. It's just,
0: it's cool. There's not a lot to say about this song other than it's just, it, it works well on the album. It works well as placed on the album. It has all of those fusions that you mentioned and those, um, those instrumentations that you mentioned, and it slaps. Like, slaps. That's all we it's have sla- to say. Sometimes, sometimes that's all a song needs. Sometimes you just have a song on the album that just—it's there because it slaps, and let it slap.
1: The next song
0: is called Heart. Um, So Stick It Where It Hurts is a killer way to open a song called Heart because, I mean, hello. Um, And I love the wordplay that's used in this song lyrically between um, heart and hard. They're constantly playing off of each other, which is perfect for a song that is being sung from a hardened heart, a heart hardened by hurt, which like, woo, that is so alliterative. I live for it, it slays.
1: Yeah, I think the rapping is so on point and sassy and wordplay and she's like, I'm going to mess you up. So many people at the time compared her to Madonna, but I honestly, in the chorus, I hear so much Paula Abdul. Um, Forever Your Girl came out just the year before this, and it had similar like pop meets R&B tracks on it, albeit not as original because it was more of an amalgamation of songs by people who worked with artists like Prince and Janet Jackson for Paula Abdul to sing. I digress, but thank you, Wikipedia, for that information, because I ac- actually don't know that much about Paula Abdul. Please don't think that I stand. Anyway,
0: um, yeah, flashback to <laughs> us working on this episode, and Carrie's sitting there, like <laughs> literally just going on Wikipedia. And you actually said the words that actually came out of your mouth was, "Wow, people are gonna think I know so much about Paula Abdul, and they're gonna be wrong."
1: This is what <laughs> research gets you, though. It does. Um, But there are a lot of similar mainstream dance pop elements between the two. And I kind of like, I don't know, I kind of want to hear this song mashed up with Straight Up or something. But yeah, it's cool. Yeah. Next is Phony Ladies. Okay,
0: let's start with the chorus of this song because as soon as you hear it, you cannot help but notice its relevance right now. It goes, So why don't you stop, phony ladies, in my face to cramp my freedom. Phony ladies that mess me up, calling names to cramp my freedom. And you don't even want to see them calling names to cramp my freedom. Phony ladies that mess me up, nobody's going to grab my freedom. Nobody's going to mess me up. I mean, I want to graffiti this on the walls of Susan Collins' Senate office right now. Holy jeez. Because there is that line that is misattributed to so many different people, but there is a line out there wandering around the world that says, there's a special place in hell for women that don't help other women. And I—that that is exactly what this song is about.
1: Yeah, I think it just, it speaks straight to the women who think that, like, caping for the patriarchy is gonna win them something in the end. But, like, no one... Even though
0: experience tells us that's not going to happen.
1: That's not going to happen at 53% of white women. Anyway, yeah, that just kills me. The second verse... The whole song kills me, but um, the second verse is what really gets me because it feels almost too topical for our current time period. It goes, you becoming a victim of the game. Don't you forget I'm your sister and your friend, too. The way you treat me will put this house to shame. Your secret conversations put you in the frame. And I don't know what the original intent was but yeah, when I read it now it's, like you said, it's a a verse that could call out women who don't support other women and it's just insane, the unfathomably large number of women that applies to Um, and it speaks to me to um, the shameful way that women betray other women thinking that it gets them ahead without realizing that they're just as disposable and it doesn't mean necessarily like it doesn't have to apply to politics can it can, re- it can re- apply to like personal relationships Yeah, it can like, apply to
0: whatever and you know be
1: a nice person yeah
0: just be a nice person yeah and it in in terms of you know ways that you can apply the song personally it makes me think of conversations that you and I have had with our mentor about women who attack other women without even realizing that they're doing so and sometimes in ways that might not be so obvious
1: yeah and absolutely so, yeah
0: it um It's a thing and it's real. Um, It makes you think. It It makes you think, so you might as well write about it and sing about it. Next up is Utrarisque Locomotive, and hooray for a good I'm a girl and I'm horny song that you can (laughs) dance to. This one's pretty straightforward with great playful rhymes that state her desire and give off vibes that start off like batting eyelashes and then morph into full-on sweaty undulating on the dance floor. I just love how the song grows and it feels its own vibe, and it's so much fun. This song is just so much fun. I love putting this song on. It's really, really good.
1: Um yeah and I think I think musically I recently like playing it over and over again doing research for this episode I started hearing it as don't kill me for saying this but I it's I started hearing it as like a song that could be remade today that would be part of this huge chunk of pop music that's like largely produced by like Jack Antonoff that's appropriating it, like very 80s and 90s sounds. Um, oh, there are all
0: kinds of bands that are doing that right now.
1: It's like, but in the pop sphere, like largely Vampire Weekends, um, Rostam, and largely Jack Antonoff. Bruno Mars is Bruno doing Mars it too. Bruno, doing Mars it too. Doing Bruno Mars it too. is doing
0: it, like all over the place. But in, like,
1: he's more in, like, the. Um, also, hip-hop Blood Orange. And Blood Orange. Oh, I was going to say Dev. I
0: love Dev Hines.
1: Yeah. Oh, I love Blood Orange, though. But oh. the stuff that Dev Hines produces, like, they all fall into this, like, weird. Like trend of what year is it? Like oh,
0: it totally does. I mean, all you have to do if you want to go hear an example of what we're talking about right now, go look up um, "Blood Oranges." You're never good enough. That song. Uh, we might as well be in 1985. Yeah, like it's no, just it's, so. It's but it's good. It's, it's good. so good. I think all of you out there who are from earlier generations than us will agree with us when we say that it's it's respecting the time and it's respecting the sound. I mean, Def Hines like really knows what he's doing in terms of um, engineering that sound to where it sounds um, fresh to our ears, but it really does respect where it was coming from. And it, it respects the, as I said before, the indigenous sounds of the eighties.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, it's actually, it's on a playlist If if you're, if you like that, I made a playlist of all these songs that fit this trend called what fucking year is it? Um, but yeah.
0: Um, Competing playlist,
1: my playlist called
0: Faster Than Beauty, which is um, also a what year is it kind of playlist. Ooh, girl, we need to sample each other's playlists because I don't think we I didn't know you made a playlist. I didn't know you had that
1: playlist. Oh
0: my God. My Faster Than Beauty playlist is my very specific Icy Sense plus gated reverb drums. Um, and they have to be songs that you could listen to on a dance floor in a club in the mid
1: 80s. Oh, mine are more like pop radio y, like. But anyway, it's like Carly. Oh, it's but well, then song, Pick Your Poison. Anyway, these these both sound like great playlists that you could listen to depending on what you're time here for. Tr- for time machine feel, feels. Anyway, yes. I started hearing this song in that light, and I really want Carly Rae Jepsen to cover it. I'm serious because like <laughs> Carly Rae Jepsen's Emotion album is such a great tribute to 80s. I have not heard it. Pop. Is it good? People have talked about it as being like one of the best albums of 2016. Oh, really? People have been talking about how good Carly Rae Jepsen is, like, in terms of, like, the pop world for, like, a couple years now. Okay. But, yeah, no, I think Carly Rae Jepsen just does a really awesome job with 80s-influenced pop. But, yeah, it's just, it's good.
0: The final track on the album is called So Here I Come. And doesn't this sound kind of like the empowerment slash turning around your life slash getting pumped up montage song during a 90s movie? Um, totally. Totally does. And no hate. I kind of love that. Um, But this song is such a great definitive statement of self and self-actualization and self-worth and self-esteem and all of the good self-hyphen positive things, words, um, because it just feels like something you sing when you're totally feeling yourself and you're standing in your power. It's really, really good. And I love how it ends so abruptly. Like, she just says, here I come. And then it's, okay, bye.
1: Okay, bye. Absolutely. This is like Nana Cherry's life story in a song, and it's, it's so cool. And part of me wishes actually... Going back to that conversation we've been having throughout the episode about sequencing, I kind of wish that this was stacked further up in the album because I do too. It's so assertive and it's almost like a thesis statement for the album. I'm like,
0: I do too. If only because of the way the song starts and the way the song ends, so that's a very technical thing. But because of what the song means, I like where it's placed. I like that it's, I like that it's the final sentence because I know you and I both love in writing in nonfiction writing. You and I both love a good clincher sentence. You and I talk about that all the time when we talk about pieces of writing that we we
1: like. do. But I feel like this is more of a lead and not a clincher. If I'm going to get like journalistic with the terms, because it's like it's stating what her whole shtick is on yes. her whole album. And I so I get I'm like, that. I get to- that. I'm like, you've buried the lead. Like, you've you've <laughs> given us... Literally, you've given us this whole album. We know what you're about. We know you by now. We're at the end of the album. Why are you telling us who you are because at the end of the album? A we know. at the
0: end. And then if you want to... Because, man, okay, when I wrote papers in high school and college, I always like to be really sly with my ending and sort of wrap everything up neatly and be like, and look how I came back to this. And how cleverly I did it. And this song is kind of like Nena doing the same thing. And I just think it's so badass and so, so fantastic of a statement of self.
1: So in terms of legacy. So at the time,
0: um, the singles did a lot better in the U.S., but the album as a whole did a lot better in the U.K. It reached number 40 here, but it reached number two overseas in England. And now, though, it's on, like, all of those, like, Rolling Stone lists and, like, a 1001 albums need to hear before you die because, of course, in retrospect and um, in posterity, it does better and you realize that it aged super, super, super well.
1: Super well, and it, it's gone on to influence so
0: many artists. So many artists. Like, how we were talking about before, about, you know, the sort of resurrection of those 80s sounds and how they've become so trendy and so in right now and they sound so much like the fabric of millennial culture that you know you have to stop and remember no no no, these came from the 80s that's this this all happened before everything old is new again
1: yeah um and like we were talking about like rihanna's is is influenced by her and um cardi b and Mm -hmm. um, princess nokia is
0: another one that i I will throw out
1: um, Mia, like Mia, has clearly modeled some of her career and aesthetic and like genre bending musicality off of Nana Cherry. I would also say that her drummer Madam Gandhi, who has a solo career of her own and is really great at like politically and socially conscious songs that slap at the same time um, and mix all these different genres, uh, she is super influenced by Nana Cherry. Um, And again, talking about Cardi B, like, Cardi B, as much as we kind of, like, make fun of her, um, she owes a lot to Nana Cherry. She's only the fourth female rapper to have her first two hot 100 singles hit top 10, and Nana Cherry was the first. That's four. Four women from the 80s until now have had that, like, succession of hits on the rap charts. That's insane. Mm Mm-hmm. Um... And then, like, getting out of the, like, rap realm into, like, dance music and pop music, I think Robin is influenced by her. They work together um, on Nana Cherry's 2014 album. Uh, Robin is. I would
0: say the band Tops is kind of influenced yeah. by them as well. I hear a lot of those sort of, like, distilled disco sounds that sort of ended up being R&B and synth pop um that kind of stuff that TOPS does um Japanese breakfast. Yeah. Japanese Breakfast a lot of
1: those sounds I think are used on um on her work as well. Also Lord, like Homemade Dynamite on Lord's last album could totally be an Nana Cherry song and um and same with Royals I think thematically at least in the same sense of like we're outsiders but we're cool. We think yeah. we're really cool. And then because Nena is so badass,
0: she is still making music, still creating, still doing some awesome stuff. Um, after Raw Like Sushi, so she released two more albums in the 90s and then took an 18-year-long break until 2014's Blink Project. And now she has a new album out literally this month called Broken Politics and is totally back in the game and back to making music, and we are so here for it. In fact, New Yorkers. Nana Cherry is going to be here. She's going to be in New York City. She's going to be in Brooklyn on December 2nd at National Sawdust, which is a really funky, very random feeling venue, but it's still really cool to go there because it's very. It's so small. It's so intimate. intimate. And it's so like angular and minimal and cool. And And arty and like. It's very like I'm a Brooklyn art kid and I'm gonna go see some music. But that stuff doesn't really matter. What really does matter is the music and what then... Our, the point is, nena Cherry is going to be there on December 2nd. Um, so National Sawdust, I mean, we will probably be there. Probs, hopefully. Probs will be there. Uh, probably, I mean, yeah. So, yeah. So that is nena Cherry's 1989 album, Raw Like Sushi. Thanks for tuning in. We are, once again, your hosts, Carly Jordan. And Carrie Corrigan. And, and we'd what, like to... Um, Oh, you want to shout out to our special guest? Our special guest, uh, because it's that time of year again, folks. It's cold weather season, and that means all across the land of New York City, management companies here in Yon are turning on their buildings' heat systems, and so that means that mine is no different. You will hear our special guest, my radiator, in probably a lot of upcoming episodes. So just pay it no mind. And this it's one just too. Doing if you its heard job. some
1: rattling. It's just a, it's just the radiator keeping us from freezing to death. Um, anyway, if you like this episode or any of our episodes, you can find us in the iTunes store. Please like and review us.
0: Yeah, it helps other people find out about the podcast and um, join the conversation. Um, if you would like to send us a message, you can email us at 77musicclub at gmail.com. You can also DM us on Twitter. Um, and also follow us on Twitter while you're at it. We're at 77musicclub. You can also follow us on Facebook at 77 club.
1: And you can find an archive of all of our episodes. If you missed any or you want to re-listen or whatever, if you want to listen to, like, an episode more than once, that's totally cool. We are at 77musicclub.com, and our whole archive is there. Yeah, totally. And then,
0: also, we have a Spotify playlist, don't we, Carrie? Yes, we do. It is super comprehensive. It's super long at this point because basically we're just showing off how long we've been a podcast. Look at all this music. Look at all the things we collect and connect to. Um, every song that you hear on our episodes, including songs that we reference, um, songs that we play interstitially, um, and, and entire songs from entire albums um, are on our Spotify playlist. It's called 77 Music Club Soundtrack. Um, just search us on Spotify, 77 Music Club.
1: Yeah, listen along and have fun. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see you next time. And have a good day.